0: Good morning, there we go. All right, I'm all set now. It's open, yep, good. All right, before we start, um, I have an announcement that I forgot to let Eric know about men's breakfast for the month of January. No men's breakfast for the month of January. Going to give you guys a break. We'll start again on February 2nd. So I wanted to make sure that was clear to everybody. Those of you who love coming out on Saturday mornings. uh, No breakfast. Okay. Uh, We'll start that on February 2nd. Um, I really wasn't expecting this many people. So I had prepared a short devotional. A love game. You know. But I guess. guess plan B. Is in order. Um, As I look around. I, I know that this past year has been hard and rough on many um, but how faithful is our God and he has allowed us to abide and abide faithfully and foundationally in the gospel of Jesus Christ and then uh, we read in Corinthians 15:58. therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. My admonition to you this morning, in addition to love, is abide. Abide, because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I just felt it in my spirit to share that this morning. Um, I am going to read um, the last portion of uh, 1 John chapter 4, Lee read through um, <clears throat> verse 12, but I'm going to read um, 13 to 21 as well, and today, yes sir, bought those glasses, there we go, uh, 13 to 21 verse, I mean on chapter 4. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again, Lord, to just bask in your love, Father. And, Father, to allow your spirit to minister to our hearts, to show us, to teach us, to guide us in being loving followers of Christ. Lord, meet with us this morning. Speak to our hearts, I pray. Use your word to be effective and alive in each heart this morning. Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I did not introduce myself uh, to some of you. Well, I guess everybody knows me, but for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Seske, um and I'm not used to saying this, so I am one of the pastors here. Uh, it's, it's coming. I'm not used to saying this. So, um, so okay, Susan. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've been watching and listening to uh, the news quite a lot lately, um, and a lot has transpired in our country of late which has given a way to an assessment assortment of emotions jubilation and revelry for some anger and anxiety for others frustration fear exhaustion various political and social questions have been answered and a lot of those answers have been questioned and depending on how we see things many of us have scratched our heads dazed and confused and clueless about how do we move ahead. We, we're there, if some of us would admit it. You know, we see what's going on and we're just we're in a frenzy in our minds and in our hearts. Particularly those happenings have underscored long-standing points of contention among Christ's followers. So in the next several minutes, next 30 minutes or so, I hope to provide a bit of biblical direction in the midst of all this commotion from the backdrop of 1 John chapter 4. John, as you know, is also known as the the evangelist, and he mainly writes to challenge those who at the time were teaching that Jesus had come to earth as all spirit, but not in the flesh, in human form that could be touched, wounded, and even killed. Specifically, 1 John 4 is a manifesto, on God being the initiator and the maintainer, the flawless, everlasting depiction of love. For him, what they believe would also reflect on how they treat others. And that mattered a great deal to John, as it should matter to us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. He writes in verse 1, He goes on to state that we should take note of who people listen to. Those who belong to God and... I'm sorry. I just lost track. Uh, For him, they believe would also... Oh, my God. My mind just just left me for a second there. Give me one second. (laughs) John's instructions are to not accept only someone's words, but if they, know and, if they know and love God. For him, what they believe would also reflect on how they treat each other, and that mattered a great deal. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, he writes in verse 1. He goes on to state that we should take note of those we listen to. Those who belong to God and enemies of God receive their marching orders From different sources you know who that source is so we should also be able to distinguish their beliefs and actions one from the other quite easily he writes in verse 6 we are from God whoever knows God listens to us whoever is not from God does not listen to us by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error in 1 John 4, 7-12, we learn that first and foremost, love isn't chiefly represented by our love for God so much as God's love for us. God's love is the source from which all, God's love is the source from which all real love flows. God's love loved us enough to sacrifice his son even though humanity even though we didn't deserve it. In this section, again, you see this litmus test in verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. An inability to love others says a lot about us. It's right and good to sing songs of praise in the morning, on Sunday mornings here, to pray and to serve, to be in community group. To have Bible studies together. All these things are right. They are good. But if in the midst of this reverence. We aren't loving people. Something is majorly wrong. Our belief and our practices. There, are say, there I say even our hearts. Need to be revitalized by the spirit of God. If we belong to Christ, we must, we must love each other. That much is clear. And this should be a clarion for Christians everywhere. This should be clear that we must love each other. I know we've heard this. Uh, Eric hit on it on on, um, Christmas Eve. But we cannot hear this message enough because our hearts, our hearts wrestle with this thing of love, of loving our enemies, of loving those who despise, who use us, who abuse us, and so on. We wrestle with this thing of love, and so we need to be reminded. And John, John constantly reminded his disciples. I'm sure they got tired of it. All right, John, let's go on to the next subject. He preached the love of God and what is required of us. If we belong to Christ, we must love each other. Loving each other gives the world tangible evidence that God lives in us, and that God loves them and desires to live in them as well. That's our witness. That's our primary witness to the world, is to love. Love is completely, it is completely Non negotiable. If you are a Christian here today, you don't get to negotiate whom you love and whom you don't love. Uh uh-uh, uh, it doesn't work that way. It's completely non negotiable. I wonder, however, about our modern interpretation of love. In my eyes, the love that we contend for these days is far from the picture of God that the full counsel of the scripture points. The love that we get fed on today. Is not biblical for the most part. It really isn't. That is to say what God's love looks like and therefore what our response to God's love should look like seems distorted at best. Let me briefly hit on some social aspects of love for a minute. And I struggled in this part of my sermon because I wanted to go in one direction and and the spirit of god would not allow me. So, I'm going to hit on a few things real quick. Beyond whatever decisions the government makes on our behalf as citizens, mine and your principal concern should be how we as Christians, not our nation as a whole, but we as Christians, how we understand love. Does loving someone necessitate that you are that you or I affirm same-sex marriage, homosexuality, or LGBTQIA. You know, uh, I, I remember when I first heard that, I was like, what, what is that? Okay, let me, let, me, let me tell you what that is. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, the L is, stands for lesbian, the G is for gay, the B is for bisexual, the T is for transgender, the Q is for questioning or queer, the I is for intersect, and the A stands for asexual or ally. Yeah. I, but you know what? I have had, personally, I have had to live in this environment. Where I teach in Lakewood, I mean in Lakewood, in Trenton, um, I'm, I, I'm dealing with this on a regular basis. You know, my brain sees someone that's, by all intents and purposes, is male, but they want me to call them by the female gender. I'm having to do flip-flops. My eyes are telling my brain's male, but yet I'm having to do a flip-flop in my brain. Well, you know, for me it's not that hard because I messed up in the head anyway. For some of y'all, it may be easier to do, but can you imagine the conflict of heart for someone having to do that but you know what for me to love that person the way I'm supposed to love that person regardless of how I feel in my heart about their station in life I am required it is non-negotiable for me To love that person and to let them know through me that God loves them too and desires a relationship with them. Starting, starting where they are at. It's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's hard because, again, my eyes see one thing and I have to tell my heart, no, you have to love this person. Because, believe me, they know, they know whether you're loving them or not. They do know, okay? Is love exclusive to an intrinsic, veiled, racial, loyal, excuse me. Is love exclusive to an intrinsic or a natural, veiled, racial loyalty where we're all supposed to just toe the color line? I get that so much. For those of you who don't, I mean, you as, most of you as Caucasians, you have a line that you're supposed to toe. I have a line as a black male that I'm supposed to toe, you know? And with both, with both the oppressed and the oppressor in mind, and I'm not just talking black and white, just think about our world right now. Christians, Jews, Muslims, just think about the whole gamut of it all. What does history of racial superiority do to one's ability to love? If I believe that I am better than you, how is my love pure? How is it pure? It is not pure. There is no way it can be pure. Does love mean that hating evil is some way ungodly or un? civilized. Think about that. Does loving someone mean that I am duty bound to embrace whatever is trending about how they see God, the God of Scripture? Is loving someone akin to full agreement with their values or interpretations of what is most important in life? Does me submitting to all your mess and allowing you to stay in your mess mean that I love you. Well, let's hear what John has to say on the matter. Like I said, I, I wanted to go a whole different direction, but the Holy Spirit pulled me back. So let's get back to John. As we have looked at the book of 1 John, John has already emphasized the importance of love in 2, 7-11. He hit again in 3, in chapter 3, verse 11 through 18, it's been said that in his, in his old age, John was so adamant, I said this before, was so adamant about the topic of love, it became his consistent exhortation to the church. Invariably, he would, repeat, he would repeat it. He would say, little children, let us love one another. But John not only repeats the imperative to love one another, but in chapter 4, verse 7 through chapter 5. He hits it longer and harder than at any other point in the book. He wants to make sure that we understand that love is not an optional virtue for the believer. It's not an option. I'm going to keep hitting on that. Love is not an option. For you to love that person that you hate the most is not an option. It is to be the distinguishing mark of the church in The world—it has to be what the world sees when they look at the church. It has to be what the world sees when they look at me, at you. It has to be, brothers and sisters. It is not an option. Note that while love is inevitable, is the inevitable result of being born of God. It is not the automatic result. Okay, it's inevitable. But we know that it's not automatic. John states in seven, Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The implication is that the life of God imparted to us in the new birth manifests itself in love for others. This new life that we've been given is to manifest itself, is to present itself, is to testify of itself and the way we show love to others. Also note that love is not opposed to truth. John has spent six verses warning us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. He did not say, let's just, get us, let's just set aside the points of doctrine or social issues where we disagree and come together and, and then we'll agree. He didn't say that, okay? These men that he's talking about, that he's talking to, they denied essential truths about Jesus Christ. John calls them false prophets, those, teaching, those who are teaching the spirit of the Antichrist. Love does not mean that we set aside the truth for the sake of unity. I'm saying it again because oh, I've been caught doing this. Love does not mean we set aside the truth for the sake of unity. John was there when Jesus prayed that his disciples would be one and the world would know that the Father sent him. And that was in John 17. But he also heard Jesus pray, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word. Your word is truth. There, this is where we have to exercise wise discernment. There are some doctrinal differences which are not essential to the gospel. And you've heard Eric say this. We have doctrinal differences with many believers that are not essential to the gospel. And we need to love Christian brothers and sisters who differ with us in these matters. Some of these doctrines are important for how we live Christian life. And so we, we may vigorously debate them among ourselves, but we still have to love as we're debating those, okay? But we must always remember that debating as brothers, and, that we're debating as brothers and sisters in Christ. We should not be divisive with one another, or on every minor point. And we, I just see that too much. The, we major on the minors, don't we? We really, really do. At the core of the heart, which asserts everyone must agree with me on every minor issue, is the spirit of I'm gonna let you say it. Pride. It's the spirit of pride. If I, if I have. If you have to agree with me, and until you agree with me, me and you, we are no longer like this. <laughs> All right? Until you agree with me, husband, wife, you know, children, parents. There lies an issue with pride. Pride and love are like oil and water, and there I said, like plaid and polka dots, the never shadow two mix. I don't care what the fashion people tell you. plaid and mo- It's not happening, okay? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. However, there are other doctrines where believing or rejecting them make the difference between heaven and hell. On these issues, we must never, never, never compromise. We can't for the sake of love. We can't compromise these issues. To deny the necessity of the substitutionary atonement of Christ, which John affirms in verse 10, or that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, apart from our works, as stated in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, would be to deny the gospel. We can't fluctuate on these. To deny the Trinitarian nature of God, Or the deity of Christ or his perfect humanity would be to deny the gospel. You cannot deny these for the sake of what you think is love. And uh, and, and you'll see why in a minute. We do not practice God's love if we set aside such important truths for the sake of unity. The connection between what John says in 4, 1 through 6, and his abrupt change in in, uh, verse 7 stems from chapter 3, verse 23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. In 4, 1 through 6, John explains the first part of that commandment, namely, believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the first part, believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Now he turns to the second part of the commandment, the need to love one another. He tells us why we must love one another, and this is it. We must love one another because God is love, and he showed it by sending his son as the propitiation for our Sins. We must love one another because God first loved us by sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins and redeem us to himself. Oh, we think it in our brains, don't we? But feel this in your heart. Well, in your heart, right doc? Over here. In your heart, God. Did this. God defined love. God is love. John states the commandment in, I'm sorry, so in verse 7 through 8, we should love one another because God is love. Twice John practices what he preaches by addressing his readers as beloved. We can go over that word so quickly, but John addresses his readers constantly as beloved. Of course, genuine love requires more than calling somebody a tender name like beloved. But John's readers knew him to be a man who practiced love for them. He practiced what he preached. He wasn't just telling them about love. John sacrificed himself in love for these people. His words and his behavior were in harmony. Our culture uses the word love in many different words, ways. I should say, I love pizza. I love going to the mountains. I love my children. Even we often think that love is sentimental—that is, that you know, gooey, gooey, you know, syrupy kind of thing. So we need to remember that bib- the, the biblical definition of love, based on several similar texts. Okay, we we know these texts. But how often we just fly over them. John 3.16. Okay. For God so loved the world. That he gave. His only son. Mother. Father out there. That he gave. He sacrificed. His only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then we have 1334. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Ephesians 5, verses 2 and verse 25. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this one, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then we have 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, which was read earlier. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Don't go over that, that we might live through him, through Christ. This is not us doing the love thing on our own. We are loving through Christ. And this love, not, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Jesus substituted for me what a burden lifted if that burden is has, hasn't been lifted in your life oh you need to go back and read these scriptures and allow god to do a work in that heart and of all, of those four scriptures i worked out a basic definition as i thought about it biblical love is a self sacrificing caring commitment that shows itself and seek and seeking the highest good for the one loved biblical love is a self-sacrificing a caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good seeking the highest good for the one loved at its heart biblical love is a commitment and thus it may be Commanded, and indeed it is, commanded by God. But it is not a commitment without feeling, but it's a caring commitment. In other words, biblical love involves delight, not just duty. For example, a loving husband delights in washing the dishes, delights in doing the laundry, delights in changing the poopy diaper, delights and doing that rescheduled date night on Sunday afternoon when his team is playing for a hunt in the playoffs. He delights in all of that. And I know this doesn't apply to men. It applies to women too. So you know who you are. Um, Also, this caring commitment is not just an attitude, but an action. It shows itself in deeds. Okay, I can tell my wife, all day long that I love her but until I put those words into actions by sacrificing of myself and she knows when I'm sacrificing she knows when I really want to do something and then I just give it up because uh, I love her I do and they know vice versa husbands know too um at his heart biblical love um a loving husband, I already said that. Also, this caring commitment is not just an attitude, but an action. It shows itself in deeds. Those deeds are often, they often, as I just said, they require sacrifice. And we see the supreme sacrifice in what Jesus Christ did for us. The goal of this commitment is the highest good of the one loved. John shows us in the, source, the source of genuine love and then draws an inev- inevitable conclusion. God is the source of genuine love because it comes from his very nature. I said this before. God is the source. If you're trying to get love from any other source, if you're plugging into any other source other than God, it is a counterfeit love. Okay? Because God is the source. Because it is the nature of God. God is love. John states that love is from God. And then he goes further and states that God is love. Of course, even unbelievers may demonstrate sacrificial love for others. Unbelieving parents often sacrificially love their children or their mates, husband or wives. Unbelieving soldiers may lay down their lives for their comrades. These loving deeds stem from God's common grace. But there's a greater love. While such love is caring and, self, and self-sacrificing, it can never be genuinely biblical. Oh, it's, it's love. But it's not biblical love because unbelievers cannot, they cannot seek the highest good for the one love that the other person may come to the saving knowledge and be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is ultimate love. John wants us to know that whatever we see, whenever we see genuine biblical love, it did not originate with the person. It came from God. He is the only source of love in this world. If you leave with anything today, just remember, God is the only source of love in this world and the love that we give others is required it is a command that we love but the Bible is clear that God's love does not negate his holiness and justice or vice versa in in 1 John 1 5 the apostle stated God is light in him there is no darkness at all. John also has said he is righteous. God's holiness and his love are both part of his nature. And neither negates the other. In, in Revelation 20, 15, the apostle of love writes about the final and eternal condemnation of all whose names were not found written in the book of life. That they were thrown into the lake of fire. So John did not see any contradiction between the concept that God is love and the concept of his punishment of the wicked in hell. So while it is vital that we affirm that God is love, it is also vital that we affirm that God is holy, that God is a righteous judge. God is love indeed, but we need to affirm that God is holy and he's righteous and he is just and we know what that all means the other conclusion John draws is God's true children display his nature John states this both positively and negatively everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God the one who does not love God does not know God all that are born of God know God the false teachers claim to know God in a secret deeper sense. But John is saying that they do not know God at all. They are not born again because they do not practice biblical love. Their teaching and their behavior simply promoted themselves. If that's why if you're doing something just to promote yourself cloaked in love, reexamine your heart. We need to take this to heart in a serious way. There are many in the evangelical church that claim to be born again, but they do not love others and they do not even make the effort to do so. They are angry, unkind, impatient, abusive in their speech, self-centered in their lives and judgmental of others. They spread malicious gossip, with great delight. And they are defensive if you try to point that out to them. Of such people, this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Oh, my heart grieves and bleeds for them. They are pronouncing and proclaiming that they are not born of God. They are outside the life of God. There is no hope for such people Unless they repent and turn to Him. John's first point is because God is love, if we are His true children, we must love one another. God showed His love by sending His Son as the propitiation. We said that before. And real quick, John makes two points in verse 9. God's love is seen in, in us in that He sent His Son that we might live. Through him. I said this earlier. John points here, John's point here seems to be that we, as God born again children, are exhibit A of his great love that sent his only begotten son to a wicked world. Only begotten focuses on the uniqueness of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. He was the only begotten son, yes. We are sons and daughters of God. But Jesus was the begotten son of God, sent for that specific purpose. He he alone is the eternal son of God who existed in the beginning with God. We were rebels, dead in our sins. We did not deserve to have him come to this world and redeem us. We didn't. Why did he come? He came to display or manifest his great love in us to his glory. John says that Jesus came into the world so that we might live through him. Okay. And then we, start, we say love is truly seen not in our loving God, but in his loving us by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So that we don't get off focus on ourselves or get puffed up with pride over how loving we are. John directs us back to God's love as seen and sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Whenever you get stuck on yourself, reorient, focus on the cross, focus on the son. Propitiation means to satisfy God's justice and wrath toward our sin. His love didn't just brush aside our sin because his holiness and justice would have been compromised if he did that because he's a holy God. He's a just God. Therefore, we ought to love one another. Ought implies obligation or commandment. We ought to. It's not a suggestion. That love can be commanded shows that it is not a primarily a feeling, but rather an action based on commitment. As I said, love is not devoid of feeling, but it is not based on it. It's not devoid of feeling, but love is not based on feelings. Okay? If everyone were easy to love, we wouldn't need this powerful example of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ coming down and sacrificing and dying for us if everyone were easy to love. In Matthew verse, chapter 5, verse 43, 47, the NET version, you have heard that it, is, it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be like your father in heavens. since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you only greet your brothers, what more do you do? Even the Gentiles do the same, don't they? Implicit in what John is saying there is, here is that we must love those who may not be especially lovable. Those who are not easy to love. We have to love them. I know I'm saying some hard things this morning to some. Work through it. You have to love them. If I may speak hypothetically, I'm sure no one here can relate to this. You may have a husband or a wife, a mate that is self-centered and difficult to live with. John says, beloved, if God so loved you, you ought to. replace uh, ought to have to. Love that difficult mate. There may be people in this church whom you do not like. John says, beloved, if God so loved you, You ought to love that difficult person. It is in these difficult situations that God's amazing love in Christ shines through us and in us. If you're having trouble loving someone, remember that God loved you while you were yet a sinner. Unlovable. That usually gets me back on track. I don't know about you. God loved me when I was still in my mess. If I'm having a tough time loving somebody here, all I gotta do is reflect on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a pretty bad dude. Yeah, God loved me. So I can I can love you because God loved me. So if God so loved us, shouldn't we work at loving one another in our homes, in our church? Even, even when it's very, very difficult. Real quick application questions and I'll be done. Just think on these. How can we demonstrate our love for God? How? Based on everything we've been hearing, based on what you read. How can we demonstrate our love for God? Number two, when you have difficulty loving other believers, what is it? Think about it. When you are having a tough time loving a brother and a sister, what makes it so difficult? What makes it difficult? We said the word earlier, but I'll let you think on that. Why is it important to think carefully about the different ways that Bible speaks of God's love? What errors result if we ignore these differences? How do we integrate them? Think on these things. And lastly, since no one loves perfectly, how do we apply verses 7 and 8? How can we demonstrate our love for others the practical ways? How much love must we demonstrate to know that we are born again? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for looking beyond my faults, beyond our faults, and for loving us unconditionally. Forgive us when we fail to love others in the same way, Lord. Give us eyes to see the needs of the difficult people in our lives. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our spiritual eyes to see. And those who do not yet know you, Lord, show us how to meet those needs in a way that pleases you that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.